This is Robin Cleland. I just had a wonderful conversation with the hugely talented Erin Fogel about her festival and her life and her music. So stay tuned. So we, we're good? We're good to go? So hi, Erin. <laughs> hi. <laughs> so this is my first podcast. Okay. And I've chosen you to be the uh, what would we call it the victim the victim your first victim i'm honored (laughs) so what's your background uh i'm sorry i'm polish (laughs) (laughs) third generation polack living here in toronto (laughs) which background no i was i was thinking that uh so i was so i was when you told me about your festival like Three years ago now, right? Yeah, two years. Two years. Just just, just past the two-year mark. This one coming up is third, isn't it? Yeah, it'll be the third iteration of the festival, but I think I launched the concept of it in April 2017. So what are the seeds of it? Well, the festival itself is a celebration of feminism. So we work, like our whole organizing team is women and non-binary people. And then we work predominantly with artists who are centered around women and non-binary people as well. Um, so I guess the seeds of it are my own experience. Yeah, so cool. So yeah. let's, let's because I always think it's so great when, when uh, an idea just comes. Yeah. Is yeah. that the way it happened? Did yeah, it... it was pretty unexpected even to me. And uh, I mean, I've been... This is our the... cat coming along here to, <laughs> to join in the podcast. Um, um, yeah, I've been in the music industry for more than 15 years now. So I certainly have like a, a history of experience there, but I was never really planning to make a festival and it was almost by accident that it got started. So uh, when people ask me like how I started it or where it came from, I'm not always even sure how to answer that because it was a very sudden idea that got launched and executed in a very short span of time before I even had a minute to think about what I was doing. And I think that's for the best. <laughs> oh, great, eh? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, and you used the word accident, right? Yeah. So... That's well, I don't cool. really believe in accidents. No, no, I, neither, neither do I. That's yeah. why I was picking up on the word, right? So yeah. it was like, so, so you think you kind of attracted it to you? Did you, is that your thoughts around it? Like, is like, so it came out of, so. you said it came out of your experience, right? Yeah, yeah. So your experience in a negative way or a positive way or both? Both. I mean, I left the music industry for several years because I was so frustrated by it. And that was after the band, The Bitters? Yes, yeah. And at that time, I was 22 when I stopped playing in that band. So I didn't have the sort of wisdom or emotional maturity to feel equipped to really do anything about some of the issues that existed. I think I was too young. Um, But coming back into the industry with Venus Fest, I felt more equipped with the right tools to actually do something productive about some of the structural imbalances that exist. So those structural imbalances were obviously of of a male nature? Like a, yeah. yeah, I mean, gender is a huge, huge element, but there's all these intersectional layers that exist around gender. Like it's a gender issue, but it's also a race issue and a physical ability issue and an age issue. Like there's so many pieces that intersect together and you know, I'm a 
cis white woman, so I have a lot of privilege and ability to um, use that privilege in a proactive way, but it's important to be able to consider like the way that different people's backgrounds intersect with their experiences. And so you've, that's somewhat the mandate of the festival to mm-hmm. have those voices that have not had a frame to, to go. Is that part of it? Exactly. Essentially like creating space for people who have not had enough space because of their identity, because of their existence. So have you, how has the community received it? Uh, way better than I ever could have anticipated. And that's part of what felt like such an accident. I launched it, I, it meant for it to be this small sort of one-off DIY event um, before I had planned a lot of the lineup. And I just posted like a Facebook page for it and within 24 hours was just like flooded with people emailing me, like media reaching out to me, just hundreds of people responding, mostly women responding to what it was. Uh, and then it just kind of snowballed into something that's a lot bigger than what I thought it was going to be. I remember going the first year, the yeah. first night. Yeah. And no, the first or first day, whatever it was. We just had the one day. Yeah, the one yeah. day, and I just thought it was so great. I mean, it was awesome. so great. And yeah. I'd, I'd never heard any of the artists, and I was just like, and yeah, and as much as obviously there was quality of artists in the room, but it was also the nature of the energy seemed seemed yeah. very different. Yes, it didn't seem like obviously there's some element of agenda, yeah. as there is with anything. It. It was like a well, it was like a lens opening up to a whole kind of audience that doesn't really have a voice or a very limited voice. Yeah, and I was so happy to. Does that make sense? Is that a true statement? Absolutely, yeah. and I was so happy to experience the same thing because from the beginning I was trying to use the word celebration in line with like the festival's mandate because. I experience a lot of like monotony in music spaces like it feels the same it sounds the same it looks the same and I wanted to create something that felt different in the space for people okay now today arriving (laughs) at this uh, coming up on the third year yeah what are the words you'd use now I I would still call it a celebration um, because I think that sort of underneath what we're talking about here which is like gender parity or feminism underneath that is like a lot of very traumatic experiences for people and and things that have been talked about more recently with the me too movement but there's not a lot of like space for celebration in context of that i think there's like a lot of trauma work happening in the world and and things coming to the surface in a very necessary way but we don't have a lot of like space for enjoyment and like beauty and community, you know, like That's for so people cool. to enjoy their lives. Really. I will often ask people now not to talk about my work, but when I do readings for people yeah. and I say at the end, like, what brings you joy? I yeah. almost always say it to people now, right? And, and it, it's surprising how often people find it very difficult to answer that. Absolutely. I mean, I have a hard time answering that question. And so that it's like, I feel like I need a space like that, that is like a celebration and 
you know, the workload is so immense that I forget about it. But then every time I do a show and I, I feel what it's like to be in that space, I'm like, oh, yeah, OK, this is why I'm doing this. And you're a musician yourself. So are you going to be playing at the festival? Of course you are. No. You're no. not? <laughs> <laughs> no, I did the first year and then I realized it's a Just little too bit much. much to play and organize at the same time. So where yeah. are you with the like it's what? What's the give us the dates. What's the date? So this this third iteration will be September twentieth to twenty second at the Opera House. So we're doing three nights. Cool. Yeah. It's a great venue, right? I love the Opera House, and it is one of the few remaining venues in Toronto that's not owned by a big corporation. Who owns it? It's independently. It's like a family-owned business essentially, and there's a woman named Athena who has been managing that venue for several decades now, and you know she's had to be really tough in a tough industry. And I I feel like working with her is like part of what the festival is. She like is Venus Fest. <laughs> That's so cool. So she's been incredibly supportive of what we're doing because she understands it and she relates to it and. It's also like a gorgeous and historical space. And how space. many people does that? What's the capacity? It's 950 people there, including so like, great. you know, all your bands and staff and everything. So, so when I want to come, all I have to do is walk out the door and go walk about five minutes and there I am. <laughs> Same, which is also <laughs> ideal. <laughs> and in terms of sponsorships, economics, uh, I know that's a money. Always a challenge. Yeah. As we speak, right? Yeah. Like, uh, I mean... For something that's new, like long-term initiatives in in Ontario or pretty much anywhere in Canada actually have the benefit of like operating grants from arts councils um, if you qualify for an operating grant, but we're too new. So um, something at our age is essentially like a precarious balance of project grants, which are like sort of one-off once a year grants uh -huh. and then ticket sales and then you know bits and pieces of sponsorship so it's a uh, it's kind of like um like an ever evolve it's like quicksand trying to make a budget for a festival <laughs> <laughs> and and one thing that i've learned is that that's not specific to venus fest and i think it's why festivals are so unsustainable like a lot of them collapse after a couple of years because it's hard to make um it's it's hard to plan a certain budget for it's almost kind like of this. a miracle that they actually actually are pulled off and, and it can exist yes do you see this as something that would eventually travel like that we would we, we, there'd be festivals in i mean yeah if the answer no is no but but would it would it go someplace else would it be created yeah. in other cities i've thought about it i mean there's a few really interesting models of what that could look like because there's something like lady fest which originally started in the states but has chapters all over the world now and each chapter is kind of its own organizing team like they're all run separately but they're like a part of the lady fest umbrella so that's like one really cool picture or there's something like the new constellations tour that we had here a couple years ago which was like one tour or one curated lineup that um toured or moved around the country so i think there's some really cool ways that something like this can grow but i also think of it as like 
<clears throat> kind of like a living thing. So I'm almost just like waiting to see how it unfolds. How this organism, <laughs> organism kind of grows yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. letting a plant grow and like you're not really sure which direction it's going to go. Try so. to give it some water, not too much <laughs> Yeah, water. Yeah, and you don't want to like... I don't want to uh, stifle something that's still new and young because I'm not sure yet like what it has the capacity to be in the long term. So, so do you have the lineup already? Like yes. you must. Yes. Right? Yeah. Shouldn't well, say must, but m- most of the way, just a couple acts that I'm still confirming. But um, but yeah, it's pretty much set. And then we have our lineup announcement on July fourth. Cool. So. And how would we find that? Would we would we go to your website? Would we go on? Uh, where where will it? be announced yeah so our website is venusfest.net and then we have a mailing list so we'll send out like a big newsletter when we've announced our lineup and we usually do like a big um media push with the announcement as well so exclaim and now magazine and blog to and all those sort of like standard so are you still uh, i know the answer to this but (laughs) are you still trying to gather funds always yeah yeah always (laughs) it's like of course it's like any not-for-profit like you're always going to be um looking for something that's going to support and sustain so how do people say say an individual wants to give you money how do they do that well, we have a donation button on our website for cool. people who feel comfortable donating. And then Listen also, up, folks. Like, <laughs> also, like, buying a ticket and, like, sharing it on social media is really helpful oh, to I us. Oh, I never even asked the price of the ticket. What's a, what's a ticket cost? So tickets are going to be $25 for a single night, or you can buy a wristband, and I think those will be 55 for three nights. So That's great. We're trying to keep it, like manageable um it's not the cheapest ticket in the world but it's also like manageable for people to come for a night and it's and all see a ages right? we have one all ages night and then two 19 plus nights so and is it strictly is it all it's all female right it is all women and non-binary centered okay so yeah. yeah so there's dudes in the band but they're just not like the front and center of it good so. they're in the back <laughs> yeah <laughs> Drummers, <laughs> a couple of drummers, yeah. <laughs> not to be ma- named. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> and you, you just recorded a new album yourself, yes. right? Yeah, yeah, just finishing the mixes for that. Oh, so, so I know the name of your band, but why don't you tell us the name of your band? So my my band is called Queen of Swords, and um, I do most of the writing and recording for that project. But then I have a bandmate named Kriti Uranowski, who plays live with me, and she's amazing. She Didn't works you just for... guys just play the Cavern House? We're playing tomorrow. That's so House. cool. Yeah. I love the Cavern House. <laughs> me too. Yeah, I kind of forgot about it as a venue, and it's interesting how that happens because people are always, like, complaining about venue closures in Toronto, but there's all these, like, historic venues like Cameron House, Dakota. Like, people don't use a lot of our old venues, at least in Have the Have you played the Dakota? Uh, not... Not that I can remember. I don't it's, think so. You know where it is. It's on yeah, Washington. It's been there of, a million times. It's pretty. It's, I love it. Yeah, it's, it's like, a great space. It's beer soaked. You know, you just walk in the front door and it's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah as most venues are. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I really like the Cavern House. Yeah, a, totally. And it's made like, I, that's the thing that's interesting about the Cavern House because you do kind of forget about it. It's yeah. been there forever, right? It's yeah. Been there forever. And I, it's like there's music happening there every night, but the, the sort of like, um, 
indie circuit in Toronto has like forgotten about it as a venue. So it's not like there aren't tons of great shows happening there all the time. It's just outside of my bubble or my little like circuit that I'm in. So it's cool to be back there. Cool. Yeah. And you'll be playing a bunch of new songs. We, we're going to play two of our new songs off the new record, but I don't want to play too many of them until I know like when I'm releasing it or with who or how or what. Cool. Sometime in the next 30 to 40 years it will be released. <laughs> so, but you did record it. It exists now. How many tracks? Um, eight tracks. We started with 12. Like I went into the studio with 12. I, I started with like 30. And then I chose 12 out of those that I actually wanted to record. And then four of them were just like not coming together. So does this record have a name? Not yet. I'm thinking about year eight as a name, but it's kind of like an obscure astrology reference. So nobody's going to know what it means, which is I, fine. Well, I have no idea, <laughs> but I like the name a lot. Great. Perfect. So, so, so what does it mean? Um, well, it refers to a technique in uh, Hellenistic astrology called perfections. There's all these different timing techniques in astrology because every astrologer wants to be able to um, predict the timing of something. So in every tradition, there's like a set of timing techniques that Very you can cool. use to predict what's going to happen in people's lives. I tend to stay away from predictive things, but I really like studying it as like a tool or as a technique. So anyways, there's this Hellenistic technique called perfections where you essentially look at um, each year of someone's life as falling in a particular house or area of the chart. So every time you have a birthday, you move into a different arena of your life according to this technique. And then there's kind of like a planet that rules over that year for you. So your title... So again. year eight, yeah. um, I'm in what's called an eighth house perfection year because that's the house that I moved into on this birthday that I had a few months ago. So it's just referring to like a moment in time, but it's it's also like each house has its own kind of like flavor or quality. So so what's the flavor? So the eighth house is an interesting place in astrology because it's the, the place in the chart that has to do with other people's unconscious energy. <laughs> so, <laughs> which you know nothing about, right? So <laughs> I haven't got a clue. <laughs> yeah. You don't know. Uh, don't worry. I know I'll walk you through this, Robin. Yeah. What's that? <laughs> I'll walk you through this. <laughs> well, it's such a strange house to try to define because it's undefinable. And it's also like, it's other people's stuff, but it happens in your chart. And I oh, happen to, really yeah, so for, for people who have like a concentration of energy or planets in that place in their chart, it's actually a really difficult thing to manage because how do you manage a part of yourself that responds to other people's blind spots or other people's stuff that they're not aware of? We could have this conversation for the rest of our lives, exactly, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I think I, that, I'm actually quite serious. Like, yeah. Kind of oh, yeah. It's it's an important conversation, and I think it's also like why a lot of people start practicing in the esoteric arts or in the healing arts is because they're looking for something practical to do with their sensitivity to other people, essentially. 
But uh, on a kind of mundane level, it, the, the house is known as, <laughs> the, the domain of the house is sex, death, and taxes. <laughs> and that, that's like the order? eighth house. <laughs> Take your pick. I mean, hopefully death lasts, but you never know. <laughs> so that's the eighth house. <laughs> so you're an astrologer as well, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's my, that's my day job. <laughs> and you do readings, right? Yes. What would you call your readings? Um, astrology readings? <laughs> no, but the um, um, the other readings you do as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. So astrology would is you one even call modality. Them yeah, the other yeah totally. Um, astrology is one kind of reading that I do. And then the other modality that I have, um, those are called core pattern readings. So those are looking at people's repetitive life patterns that they experience. And it's it's a different practice from astrology. Which I've had several. Yes, yes. Which I found. <laughs> Which you know nothing about. <laughs> I'm, I'm still listening to them thinking, what was that? No, yeah. <laughs> mostly I've, I've uh, almost universally I found them fantastic and good. Yeah, I'm very practical to tool to use. Same, which is why I wanted to study it because I, I had so many readings of my own and it was the most helpful thing I had ever found as like a, a way of, you know, being a better person and making my life decisions. So it seemed really practical. And I would certainly recommend people come to you for readings. So Me they too. Would fly. <laughs> <laughs> Same. I hope. <laughs> yeah. If you said no, I'd say, what yeah, the hell? Well, Why are we having this conversation? to a colleague of mine. <laughs> so if they wanted to do that, they would go on your website, right? Which is yes. different than... Yes, yeah. Which is? So my website for my practice is erinfogel.com um and yeah different i keep that separate from venus fest because they're of course, you know, different, of course. different worlds <laughs> so what do you think about saying this a song sure i can do that yeah erin didn't bring her guitar so she's using mine <laughs> we'll see how which goes. is uh <laughs> which is an acoustic you usually you usually play what um i usually play an electric I have an electric tailor, which is, they only have like one or two electrics that they've ever made, but I love Taylor guitars and it's very, um, it has a, I know everyone says their guitar is versatile, but mine is very versatile. So who makes Taylors? <laughs> well, Taylor is the company. I know, but is it American? Is it oh, British or do you I don't know, know, actually. I've never, um, I, you know, some musicians are really into gear and I'm not. And I always feel like that's probably created certain limitations for me as a musician, but I've never been like curious or interested in gear. And some, some of my colleagues are just like better with it than I am. So why would it, why would it limit? Well, like I have you some, play it or not play it. Right? I, mean. <laughs> I just mean like some friends of mine are really knowledgeable with pedals. Like my friend Carlin makes her own pedals. Oh, I see. And I yeah, think that, yeah, that, yeah. that kind of knowledge can make for some really cool sounds. And, you know, it, it kind of like opens up your um, scope of possibility as an artist. But... I was online uh, <laughs> taking this master class. There's this thing you could take a master classes with actors or directors right. or musicians so i thought i so i bought a pass for it so 
and uh, Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine, who's mm-hmm. a great guitarist, right? Uh-huh. I thought, oh, I'll take his class. And honestly, within, he started talking about pedals, and like within <laughs> within five minutes, I didn't know what the fuck he was talking about. Right, I just right, stopped. right. And some people love it, which is really cool, but it's just not my, it's not my territory. <laughs> so let's hear a song from this recording that maybe right. may or may not be released great. in the next 40 years. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Should I just dig in? Oh, sure, sure. No, I, I asked you, what is it you're going to play? Oh, what am Sorry. I going to yeah, play? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, this song is called Waiting to Love. And yeah, it's from the new record, whenever that comes out.
nice. He's a, he's a different playing it on that. Yeah, I'm assuming. I'm so used to an electric. I don't even think my hands are big enough for acoustic guitars. <laughs> so, so lyrics first, or or um, which comes first, music uh, or the lyrics, or it's does it? Different for different songs. I would say most of the time, I hear like a vocal melody. And then I try to figure out the chords for whatever that melody is. And then I do the lyrics last once I have kind of so like a structure. So what about that song? Ooh, I think, I think the melody came first. But it was one of the ones, sometimes I have an easier time of writing where it all just comes at the same time and takes me less than an hour to you mean it just is it kind of a download is that what happens yeah yeah yeah. so that one happened pretty quickly (laughs) that's great so i think the lyrics and the melody sort of came hand in hand and then i just figured out the chords and put it together so when you went into the studio did you go in with a i think we talked about this before not in this (laughs) Mm -hmm. but had you is did you use the same producer who was produced for you before, or was this somebody brand new? This was someone new. So my last record, um, which was the first Queen of Swords record, I went to work with my friend Bob Bruno in L.A. Right. So right. he produced, but also did all the like engineering and recording. Um, so, sorry, yeah. what happened on the, where did that, because I heard some of that, which yeah. I thought was really great. Thank you. Where is that? If someone wants to hear it, like it it's online, like it cool. it's on Spotify and Bandcamp and, you know, all the streaming platforms <laughs> that exist. Um, it's pretty easy with a self-released album to just use one distributor and it sort of gets put out on every platform. So but... Queen of Swords comes from where? Where does that title come Queen from? Queen of Swords, as you well know, is a tarot <laughs> card. <laughs> yes, I do know. So why the Queen of Swords? Like why... And and we can't see her. I can see her. Right. <laughs> but she has a tattoo that has a sword. Right. Um, I do have a giant sword on my arm. So there's that. But second of all, you would not believe how many tarot cards are already taken by metal bands. Like oh, every... no shit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> every tarot card is a metal band. Um, but uh, I also relate to the Queen of Swords. Like it, I think of that card as a kind of mastery um and also like a, a certain level of empowerment so i relate to the card kind of as action an or kind of a yeah very forceful right yeah um, yeah and i i mean it's the the queen of swords is definitely she's got a little bit more edge than like the queen of cups you know so i relate to that a bit too (laughs) because you've got more of an edge than the queen of cups (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) just saying (laughs) yeah that's a compliment (laughs) thank you yeah i mean the queen of cups is great she has a great outfit on but um (laughs) at least in my deck (laughs) have you because uh are you um because you go through different uh, personalities on stage, right? Because I remember seeing mm. you on stage. Mm-hmm. It's, a little, it's at least a year, maybe even longer. Mm. And you had, a, you had a fantastic mask. Yeah. Yeah, I only wore that to a couple of shows. It was very cool. Yeah, but, and, and a really cool artist handmade it for me, so that was awesome. I remember but, that, but yeah, you I don't... Yeah, I wore it a couple uh, times. I don't know 
why. It was fun for a bit. And then I was like, okay, I'm done with this now. Oh, cool. <laughs> so, yeah, it was just like a kind of an experiment or something that I started the project with. But, yeah, I don't know. So this whole kind of like the festival, you as an artist, you as a, a card reader, you and your work, are they all coming from the same vein or the same source? Do you understand the question? Like, they're, they're all, yeah. um, are they all yes. aspects of your personality? Are they all aspects of you? Yes, I would say. Uh, I think that what feels different to me about Queen of Swords than, like, my old band, for instance, is that it does feel like it comes from the same place. Um, as my healing work, as Venus Fest, uh, and those all feel like, I don't know, different, different elements of like healing and self-discovery, although Venus Fest and my client work is, is about community discovery as much as it is about my own, but it, it all feels like some sort of process work or... So are you a different human than the one that was in the bitters? For sure. For sure. I mean, that was me. So yeah, yeah, yes and no. But like, <laughs> I, I still, I still relate to that time in my life, but only a little bit. I think, I think, uh, yeah, lots of difference. So would myself. we hear it? Would would we hear any echo of the bitters in your music now? Only a very little. Like the the songwriting that we were using in that project um, was still really like melody forward. Um, and at that time, I was listening to sort of a combination of like 50s girl group music and then like 80s, like West Coast, Portland punk. So I think that the the songwriting really reflected that. But that was a melody forward band. And I that's still how I write music. So I think that in some ways, my approach is the same, but the songs sound completely different. And um, and you're a few years older. Too, yeah, right? yeah. So who are your influences now? Like, what would you call, what would you, excuse my naivety, what would you call that sound? What would you call your sound? Or do you have a... Yeah, I've been calling it dark dream pop, but... Dark dream pop? Yeah, cool. I think it's always a little hard to define because um, part of the struggle of putting an album together is that some of the songs sit in different genres. So I don't always know how things hang together because I listen to so many different things. So sometimes I feel inspired to write something that has uh, like a real folk feeling to it and other times like a like a harsher sort of rock feel. And then there's like still the, the punk in me that listens to that and writes through that so. so it's interesting even as I was asking you the question mm -hmm. I started thinking oh so now I'm trying to put her in a sound right I, I almost <laughs> found in the Rolodex of my questions I right. thought oh I'm marketing and and to that point but I'm, it's a I'm natural not. question yeah yeah it's yeah. a natural question yeah but I can imagine like if you have um, a, a diversity of sound within one recording yeah when you kind of go out to say market it yeah how do you do that right and and it's hard to do but at the same time I think it's important because if if I'm talking to a musician 
and I've never heard their music before and I ask them what kind of music they play and they don't have some kind of like rough answer to that yeah. it's like the conversation ends there <laughs> you know it's like yeah. okay well cool I hope to hear it sometime <laughs> so oh. I think I think it is good to have like some descriptive element but it's it's also nice to like leave space for flexibility and when I think about some of my favorite artists especially the ones that have had sustaining careers over like a long period of time such as um some people are going to hate me for this but I love the Foo Fighters I think that they have had an amazing and very sustainable career and their albums all sound really different they've really like experimented with different genres and I think that a lot of the time that creates a kind of sustainability however I I have some friends that have struggled with that who are musicians where like one album might be really successful and then they try to move into a different area of experimentation with their music and they kind of lose touch with people who resonated with their last album so I think it can create issues for artists but, but isn't that the nature of artistry that you should be able totally. to well, I, I maybe should or shouldn't is the wrong word, but like to dip into wherever you want to go as an artist. Oh, yeah. And then there's bands like Beach House that I, I don't even know how many records they put out. Like so many. And they've had a really long career. I first saw them in like high school or something. But when Beach House puts out a record, you know exactly what it's going to sound like. But they're still great songwriters. So. And there's nothing wrong with that either. Totally. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they have like a very classically definable sound for, for who they are and what they're doing. So Because what I heard today, mm -hmm. and we're going to hear another one, right? If you want. It's totally up to you. <laughs> there's only one song on the record. That's okay. all I got. <laughs> you've got. You've got another one in you today. Is So the sound I'm hearing today is different than the last Thing that you played for me a couple of years ago yes. very different yeah yeah and I really wanted to do something different with this record because I was working oh that's right so so I worked with Bob on the last record but um, I worked with uh, my friend Carmen L as a producer on this record and I've known her for at least 15 years now she is one of my favorite musicians in Toronto what band? She she actually played the first year of Venus Fest with her band Diana. They're like an eleven piece rock band. <laughs> they had like three backup singers, like huge, like a <laughs> horn section. Like they, they were doing something with their band that's um sort of off trend. Like people don't have giant bands like that anymore. So unless they have copious amounts of money. Well, there's something. that element. Like trying right. to tour with an eleven piece is not everyone's favorite. But she she's been through so many different projects and she's such an incredibly gifted musician, but she doesn't really have a history of producing things other than her own music. But I just kinda had like a really good intuitive feeling about working with her and it turned out to be like the best working dynamic. And then uh, we were working with an engineer named Steve Cholly, who's, uh, he's done a lot of really great sort of like top 40 Canadian music, but then he also in the last couple of years, someone in the independent community got 
whiff of him and <laughs> he's so, he's such a lovely person and so he's been working with a lot more independent bands on top of his kind of um uh like and more your guys being one of them yeah yeah so we worked with him at his home studio and it was like a perfect recording vibe just really good all around here in the city so, or roadside he lives in bolton actually yeah um, i think you told me that yeah yeah so we were driving up we the whole record probably like in, including mixing i think we were only up there for 10 days total but because we all work full time with other things that took place over the span of six months because it was hard to find a day here right, or there. Right, right. But it was only 10 days, so we, we worked pretty quickly, which is how I like to work. To me, the way that I am in a studio, if I can't get some, something on the second or third try, I won't get it at all, so I just move on. And Oh, you know that. Oh, like, I know that, It won't stay yeah. wedded to it for hours. It'll just get worse. And <laughs> <laughs> people are different with that. Like Some people want to do something 20 or 30 times and get it just right. And that's not, that's not what works for me. So I move quickly. <laughs> so in that, would you leave mistakes? Or are there mistakes? Um, actually, no. I, I, I think like... I guess that, that's the that's wrong word, That's very genre right? dependent. Well, yeah. I mean like, you know, with the bitters, there were all kinds of mistakes on the record because it was punk music and that was part of it. We would do something in one take and that would be the song. And it had like a really alive quality, hopefully because of that. Um, but but for these songs, um, I think this is probably like the highest production record I've ever made. Like everything else that I've done has been fairly lo-fi. And I think that when something is bare, you don't necessarily want to leave a mistake unless that enhances like the, the feeling or the experience. Of yeah, the like you were saying with punk, right? That's, yeah, that was part of the nature of totally. punk, right? Yeah, and it, that's what keeps it raw and alive. And, you know, part of the ethos of punk is to take down perfection and, and structure. So that's part of like the music as well. But for this, because it was the first time that I was working in a more high production scenario, I wanted the parts to kind of do that justice. Um, so I wouldn't say that there are mistakes, but some of the vocal takes we left a little more raw because that's sometimes where the emotion comes right. into. So when the festival, when you put the festival together, mm -hmm. I know I'm jumping around. Uh, <laughs> okay. uh, when you go to Aren't the festival. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, I am. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, do you come to the festival like so when we go to see this in incarnation mm -hmm. uh, will we be hearing all kinds of different genres within that three day do you understand the question like Definitely. I, yeah 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 and and I've tried to keep it that way um, because the mandate of the festival is not genre specific and and the point of it is to showcase like the incredible range and complexity of talent from artists who have been really underrepresented so we try to work with different genres because of that to, to showcase like how how far that range of talent goes so this year we have 
I mean, it's all a bit mixed in, but we have one night that's a little more folk oriented and then one night that's more um, sort of rap and soul oriented and then another night that's more like indie music, but it's all kind of mixed in. So would I have, would there be any metal? <laughs> Not, <laughs> Not this I... year, but like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. actually metal is one of the genres that has the the worst representation of any genre, I would say. So there are a handful of metal oh. bands that have women in them, but they're very few and far between. So that's I, kind of why I asked the question, yeah, right? Yeah. It's like I would say that's <laughs> I, I would love to have a metal night, but it, it would be very hard to book because my my pool of options would be so much smaller and, and the metal community has still a ways to go in terms of like the misogyny and and just like how, how difficult it is in that community so not this year but <laughs> hopefully in future years <laughs> yeah so you you i know you're right in the midst of it do you see this mm -hmm. as something that you're going to be doing for a while this festival well when i started it i made sort of an internal five-year commitment to myself because I knew that it was going to be difficult and that I would probably want to give up on it here and there. So I made that commitment to myself because I feel like five years is enough time to see whether something... How many times have you given up on it? You don't want to know. As we speak, right? You don't want to know. <laughs> Every day. A couple times a day. Are <laughs> you announcing something right here? No, no. no. That's easy. No. Okay. And uh, I, I think that it's like any business, right? Like the first few years of it are inevitably going to be the most difficult. So I think you need five years to see what something is even going to be. Like it, it takes time to to see how something unfolds and like whether it can find its place in the music industry in Canada and et cetera, et cetera. So has press been good to you? Have they very much? Yeah. And that, that's been one element that's hugely supportive because we're still, we're still a DIY festival. Um, even though we've grown a lot over the last couple of years, but having the support of media has helped us create a certain level of visibility because we don't, you know, we're not into like, a big marketing thing we right. don't want to have ads plastered everywhere so having media support helps us create visibility without um a ton of like kind of uh forceful marketing so it's good. so is, when we say press who are we talking specific press are we talking about now are we talking about or are we talking right across the spectrum like it could be Toronto star could, yeah uh, um, I think the first year of the festival was the biggest wave of it because it was the first iteration. So anytime you launch something, it's going to probably get the most attention out of out of like a span of time. So the first year of the festival, we had pretty far reaching press from like Billboard and Fader magazine and, and Mike magazine and Vice and all these kind of big um more american focused outlets as well as like really awesome canadian press like now magazine has been tremendously supportive of us as has exclaimed they're one of our media partners mm -hmm. um indie 88 a side all of those kind of like big um toronto based or like canadian 
owned media companies have been really supportive. But it, it's meaningful to have ongoing support from outlets like Exclaim and Now Magazine because they're part of the community. So to have them like including us in different pieces that they're working on that are relevant to Venus Fest, but not necessarily just about Venus Fest um, is really, really meaningful. Or like I did a interview with Ben Rayner from the Toronto Star last week, and he was working on another piece about festivals, but included Venus Fest. So things like that have been really meaningful because part of the festival's mandate is community building. So for us to have support from from the pre-existing music community is really helpful for us as a festival so the festival is over so many days but it actually bleeds in to the whole year right in yeah terms of, yeah because yeah, we have a monthly series as well so the festival's in september and then we have sort of like one show per month that i've been doing so year-round programming cool yeah so do you want to play another song I'll just do the one. Okay, that's fine. Some, some of them are are going to be better on acoustic than yeah, 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 yeah. No, I yeah. do that. It's a <laughs> yeah. So we got to end soon, but um, I was going to say I was going to talk a little bit about well, we're we're so the community at large around mm-hmm. the festival is very excited, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. But. How does this affect you in your whole spiritual life? Hmm. Is that too broad of a question? No, I think that's a really interesting question. Because um, I, I know that, you to some sorry, yeah. I know you to some degree from that place, right? Yeah, or and that's I our would initial say meeting. that it's been really interesting to come from working just in the healing arts for the last few years back into the music industry (laughs) because for the most part people are on their best behavior in the healing arts like (laughs) for the most part people are there because they are trying to um, gain awareness they're trying to create change in their lives they're trying to heal and that is not the focus of the music industry even though artists on a whole are really like healers in our community but the industry around it for the most part doesn't give a shit about that so it's been really difficult but also really interesting trying to bring some of my healing work into the way that I work in the music industry for things that are as basic as not reacting to someone screaming at me on the phone over like booking an artist. Like just the the level of stress and chaos that exists in the industry is why there are so many issues. Like everything is so um, difficult and chaotic. So I've tried to apply a lot of my spiritual knowledge in an, in a place where it doesn't always exist and where people are not thinking about it and where people don't usually care about it because I think that's kind of like where it's most needed. So I feel like it's putting my spiritual work to the test in a really exciting and interesting way because um, there, there are things that don't get challenged when you're sort of working within the the bubble of spiritual community so i don't know if that answers the question no it does it does it's interesting because it could lead to copious amounts of questions right because it's 
Because it's that's like the heart of you too, right? Yes, From yes. that place, yes. right? So it's interesting in that answer, mm-hmm. like is, and I don't know the music industry only as a spectator, but mm-hmm. uh, is there constantly things to push against? To push against in, like, in what sense? So, so you're creating something mm-hmm. out of out of a mandate that you would like to move towards mm-hmm. and did you were you immediately met by obstacles with what you wanted to do absolutely because it's what i want to do and it's what the the team behind venus fest wants to do but it's not everyone's agenda and we're we're working with other people in the industry that don't have that agenda so but are in opposition to it or just not having the same agenda both both yeah i mean of course there's going to be opposition because that's where the issue comes from in the first exactly there are gatekeepers who don't want to have less power because that threatens whatever platform they've created for themselves so there are really challenging moments where we come up against that because were I don't know threatening or challenging something threatening to <laughs> to change like to me it's just like it's change that's really what's at the heart of it and and people who um sometimes have a lot don't want that to change because they feel that if if others have a platform if, if others have a voice if others have resources that they won't which is not the case it's not a it's not a competition or it's not a higher there's a bigger big enough tent for everybody right exactly see that's a whole kind of like where i was going with that is like there's a whole kind of i was talking to somebody about it and it's a conversation i'm having with myself a lot Mm -hmm. is how how when we move through the world people are looking at that coming from a place of scarcity exactly and like a lack like that oh there's scarcity and it's scarcity mentality in fact at least from my belief system, that if you come from that place, then that's what's going to meet you as scarcity. Because then everybody's fighting over what they assume is a small pie when there, in fact, there's absolutely there is no scarcity. Yeah, and and it's such a, it's so backwards to me because when when you have that kind of scarcity mentality, it ends up creating things that are pretty unsustainable. And when when you look at things from a perspective of sustainability, it's like you you want consistency, you want diversified resources, you want colleagues and community support. Like those are the things that really like keep something thriving over a long period of time. So it's kind of backwards. Yeah, it's interesting because therein I believe therein lies there's no other. Exactly. Right. So yes. it's like this if you think about what's happening in the world today, yeah. right? It's like Yeah. What's the other to push against? What to be fearful of? What's the, you know, it's like, right, right. and this kind of modality we're talking about takes us into a completely different place where, right. where there's creativity and possibility. It's the Aquarian dream. It's like the community supporting community, but, um, you know, people have to make a choice to be on board with that and. And sometimes it's just not something that they've thought about, and sometimes it's something that they're actively against. So you get both. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Is it fun? Are you having fun? <laughs> yes. 
Yes. Uh, and it's and it's the most difficult thing I've ever done. So I would say it's both. But I, I wouldn't keep doing it if I wasn't also loving it. And the the shows themselves and the, the festivals that we've had are um, like an important reminder of why I'm doing it. Like it's so beautiful in the space. So every time I get a little bit overwhelmed, I try to touch into that or remember that because that's that's why we're doing it in the first place. So there's some joy in there. Definitely. A lot of joy in there. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's fantastic that you're doing it. It's just like, it's fabulous. Thank you. I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. <laughs> yeah, as you should yeah. be. Yeah. I think we should end on that note. Great. Thanks. Thank really you. thanks a lot. Yeah, yeah, it was fun to chat. <laughs> yeah, see where, where it goes. I hope this is one of many podcasts, so I'll have you back. Me too. Yeah, looking forward to hearing the other ones. Okay. Cool. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Uh, many more will be coming your way. If you'd like to give some feedback, please visit my website at robincleland.com.